The word for the morning is contender. Let me give you a definition. A contender is defined as this. A person or group competing with others to achieve something. And so when we think about contenders, maybe you think of a title contender. Uh, Maybe it's Dana White's Contender Series. Maybe you're into MMA or UFC, right? There's a, or maybe it's heavyweight boxing, right? There's a title that is being contended for. They're competing, they're fighting for that title. Or being an election year, we know what is a presidential contender. This year we will have Trump versus Biden. All right, there is a position, there is a, a status that these two men want to have, and that is president of the United States of America, and so they are contending for that position. A contender is someone or a group that is competing with others to achieve something, and as we dive into a new, very short series this morning, we're going to be looking at the letter of Jude, all right, 25 short verses, we're going to split it up into two weeks But what we see here in this incredible letter is the truth that true followers of Jesus Christ contend for him. Now before we get into kind of the meat of this book, I want to give us just a little bit of background so that you know where Jude is coming from. The author of the book is none other than Jude. Look at verse 1 and how Jude describes himself. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And so here we have Jude. He is a servant and he is a brother. Now, what we know about Jude is he was actually one of Jesus' four brothers. Did anyone know that Jesus had four brothers? All right. Maybe you didn't know that. But again, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And so when he came to the earth and he was born... That Christmas morning, he was born into a biological family. And Jude was one of his four brothers. Now history tells us that none of these brothers came to faith in Jesus, believed that Jesus was the Messiah until after he had died on the cross and rose on the third day. But all of them came to believe in Jesus And what we know about Jude is that he was a teacher. He was a missionary in the early church. He was leading the body of Christ during the first century. This is Jude. He's our author. And the question then is, who's he writing to? Who's his audience? Look at verses 1 and 2 then. It says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he is writing to those who are called. Translation, what this means is that Jude is writing primarily to believers. To be called or predestined or, or, or to have a relationship with God. He's called them. God has called you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, into a relationship with him. And so when Jude is writing here, his audience is believers. But specifically, and you'll you'll find this out as we walk through this text, he is writing to a very Jewish audience. 
Most likely the people that would have been reading this letter for the first time would have been Jews that had believed in Jesus and become Christian. How do I know this? Because again, you'll see that over and over again throughout this letter, Jude is going to go back to the Old Testament. He's going to go back to Jewish tradition. And it's everyday language for these Jewish people that are reading his letter for the first time. He's writing to those who are called. But I don't want to just blow right by these incredible descriptions of these people. Because I believe if you are a follower of Christ this morning, that these are true of your life as well. To those who are called, they are loved. You're loved. It says that that they're beloved in God the Father. And we don't have to belabor this point, but just to think for a moment, to not blow by this truth That for those who are Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, you are beloved, you are loved by the creator God of the universe. And he wants a relationship with you. You are loved. He also says here that you are protected. It says that you are kept for Jesus Christ. That there is nothing in all of creation There is no enemy of darkness. There is no temptation or sin that can steal you away from Christ. You are protected. You are kept by and for Jesus Christ. Those who are called are loved and they are protected. And then I love Jude's prayer for these early Christians. He says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Notice the word multiplied. This tells us that God is not a stingy God. He is a generous God. God's not going to give you just a little bit of peace or a little bit of mercy or a little bit of love. No, Jude is praying that these believers, these Christians would experience the multiplication of mercy and peace and love in their lives because of the work that Jesus has done in their hearts. It it reminds me kind of on a more simple analogy. It's summertime, and summer means it's ice cream season. Amen? All right? And so if you're from the area, you know there's a number of places that you can get ice cream, but maybe there are like three that emerge to the top. You've got your Pavs Creamery. Any fans of Pavs? Uh, You have Handles. All right? Handles is another good option. Or you have New Baltimore Ice Cream, which is an probably my favorite option if I'm going to vote. I'm a new Baltimore guy. And you can go to any of these ice cream shops and they're going to have good ice cream, but it comes down to what you want. For me, I like new Baltimore. They got good flavors. It comes at a good price. And the quantity is more. All right, so if I go up and order a medium cone, I get three huge scoops of ice cream on top of that cone, right? Where you're trying to balance it and like lick it before it it melts away. All right, I, I share this illustration because when we think about the mercy, love, and peace of God, it's not this stingy little amount of ice cream, right? It's multiplied. It's, it's in abundance. God wants you to experience that kind of mercy, peace, and love. May it be multiplied to you. To those who are called. Which leads then to Jude's purpose and why he is writing this letter in the first place. If you're going to sit down and 
type out a text to your friend or, 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 or share something on social media or maybe you do in kind of a blue moon want to write a letter to someone, you should have a purpose. You should have a point in what you're writing and Jude is writing for a purpose. His purpose is this. Every follower of Jesus must contend for the one true faith. That's our big idea this morning. That's the main point, I believe, of the entire letter of Jude. That every follower of Christ must contend for the one true faith. Look at verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. So he had another purpose. It's important, but not as urgent as the, the purpose that he's writing for. It says, although I was eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He is calling, he is challenging every follower of Christ to contend for the one true faith, to contend for the gospel. And so as we look at this letter, you can really divide it into two main sections. What you have from verses 4 through 19 is answering the question, why is it so important, why is it such a priority for every follower of Jesus to contend for the faith? Why is that important? He's going to answer that in verses 4 through 19. And then in verses 20 through 25, he answers the how question. How do followers of Christ go about contending for the one true faith? This morning, this week, we're going to look at this why question. Why is this so important? Why should this be the priority of every Christ follower? Well, here's the answer. Because false teachers have infiltrated the church. This is priority. This is important because false teachers have infiltrated the church. Look at verse 4. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. False teachers have infiltrated the church. And what I find interesting is that Jesus has predicted this. During his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says these words. He has predicted, he has prophesied that this would happen. He said, beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit, Jesus says. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Doesn't make sense. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Why is this so important for followers of Jesus that we would contend for the gospel, that we would contend for the faith that we have in Christ? Well, because false teachers are everywhere and we have to be alert and we have to be aware and we have to be cautious and we have to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. 
So what does this look like today? I don't want to go off into kind of a rabbit trail of looking at all these different examples of false teachers, but maybe a few examples would be helpful for clarity's sake. As we think about false teachers, maybe you think of the cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. Um, And what they've done is they've taken Christ and because of their wrong belief in who he is and, and what we believe about him, they have built a religion and a belief system on wrong theology of the character and work and person of Jesus. That's maybe one example. Maybe another example that that could possibly hit closer to home would be the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, or the word of faith movement, as it might be referred to. And again, I don't want to get off on all kinds of rabbit trails and a tangent, but if I could ask you to do one thing this week, it would be worth your time. I would encourage you to watch the Netflix documentary, American Gospel. If you haven't seen it already, I believe it's a good use of two hours. It's a documentary that kind of exposes and helps us be a little bit more aware of the prosperity gospel and its effects in our culture and around the world. I mean, when's the last time a preacher from the pulpit told you to watch Netflix? All right? (laughs) Application. It's pretty simple. Watch American Gospel on Netflix, I believe it'll challenge your thinking as you think about false teachers and how they're infiltrating the church today. All right, let's move on in the text. What we see next is Jude will give some warnings, some warnings about false teaching that help us to be more aware and more alert. The first one is this, wrong beliefs lead to a sinful life. Wrong beliefs lead to a sinful life. Life. We're going to break it down kind of based on the wrong beliefs of these false teachers. But to state it more positively, you could say it this way, that right beliefs lead to a holy life. Wrong beliefs lead to a sinful life. Right beliefs lead to a holy life. And again, to illustrate this for you this morning, um, share a story about our, about our, our honeymoon. It's nine years ago. My wife and I were going to Florida. It's mid-July. Okay, this is important to the story. Um, and so being a man, I believed that I did not need sunscreen. Okay. I don't need that. It's summer. I got a good base. I'm all right. You know, so, so I go down there, it's Florida, which I find out has a lot stronger sun than we do. I thought it was the same sun, but I guess it's not. Um, it's, it's really hot in mid-July, if you've ever been to Florida in July. And I believe that I don't need sunscreen. So we go to the beach every single day for a whole week, no sunscreen. That's a bad decision, right? But what I want you to see is it was my belief that I didn't need the sunscreen that led to my bad decision about not applying the sunscreen. We'll come back to the story here in a little bit. Because I think it will illustrate for us some of the things that are going on here in this text. That wrong belief leads to a sinful life. What is being examined here is the character of these false teachers. I want you to notice as we go through that Jude does not talk about the false teachers' bad theology. He hardly mentions their wrong beliefs, but what he does talk about is their sinful character. What he does discuss 
is their immoral decisions and their lifestyle. Wrong belief leads to a sinful life. We see this, for example, in that the false teachers here in Jude's context were guilty of blasphemy. Look at verses 8 through 10. We're going to skip down. Verses 8 through 10 says, Yet in like manner these people, talking about the false teachers, rely only on their dreams. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael Contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. They're guilty of blasphemy. To blaspheme is to deny the biblical work or the person of Jesus Christ. It's to dispute his power. It's to abuse his name. It's to steal his glory. Again, Jude is giving us an example here of from the Old Testament to help us understand. And again, these are Jewish Christians that would have been reading this first, so they would have got it. But for us, we might have to work a little bit more to understand it. The first example here that he gives is actually from what's called the Testament of Moses. And you're like, the Testament of Moses? Like, is that in my Bible? It's not. Uh, the Testament of Moses is not in our Bible, but again, Jewish readers would have recognized it as a tradition, as something that they would have grown up around. And it tells us here in this example that, that this Testament of Moses was a retelling of his final words and some of his final actions and events in his life. And the point here that I believe Jude is trying to make is this. Don't miss this. The point is that Jesus Christ alone has authority. Okay? Jesus Christ alone has authority because not even the archangel Michael condemned the devil at Moses' death, but instead he let the Lord have the final word. You see that? And so let me bring this down to kind of real life as we think about false teachers. False teachers speak with their own authority. Faithful teachers preach under the authority of God. And so a false teacher will take God's word and he'll set it aside and then give you his opinion of what you should do. But a faithful teacher and preacher of God's word will take God's word and stand under it. That this is the authority, this is the standard, this is the power to bring about life change when it comes to following Jesus. False teachers speak with their own authority while faithful teachers will preach under the authority of God. It's their power source. So not only do these false teachers, are they guilty of Blasphemy, they're also guilty of greed. You'll see here in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. You're like, that's a lot of Old Testament examples in one verse. So let me help you unpack it. Here, he is bringing up three specific examples. And I believe they all center around this greed, this jealousy that the false teachers had. Take Cain, for example. You can read his account in Genesis chapter 4. 
But if you know the story of Cain and Abel, they're sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain kills his brother Abel. Why? Because God had accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering. And so he kills his brother and then goes on to start a city that's built on violence. Right? You see the greed and the jealousy and the dissatisfaction there, the rebellious heart of Cain. Well, then he brings up Balaam. You can read about Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 through 25. Balaam was a sorcerer. But here's the deal. He couldn't curse Israel. He didn't have the power to do so. And so instead, what Balaam did is he led them into idolatry and into all kinds of immorality. Greed, dissatisfaction leading to rebellion. And lastly, he brings up Korah. You can read about Korah in Numbers chapter 16. Korah was a Levite. means he was kind of in charge of leading the church back in the Old Testament. And as a Levite, he had power over the people of God in leading those services in the tabernacle and in the temple. But it tells us in Numbers chapter 16 that Korah led a rebellion against God's servant, against Moses. Again, greed and dissatisfaction in their position was leading them to rebellion against God himself. They're guilty of greed. And so let me make this real again as we think about false teachers in our world today. False teachers are in ministry for selfish gain, while faithful teachers are in ministry for God's glory and for others' good. It's not about them, it's not about their reputation. But the false teacher, as we look at God's word, it tells us they're in it for greed. They're in it for selfish gain. Lastly, we see here they are guilty of corruption. Look at verses 12 through 13 with me briefly. It says this. These are hidden reefs, talking about false teachers again. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame. Wandering stars from, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Like These are some powerful words here, some strong words by Jude. As he is examining the life and the, the, the ministry of these false teachers and alerting these early Christians to their influence. I'm not going to go through all these analogies, all these examples in detail, but these hidden reefs, I mean, just imagine if you can think of a boat at sea, a ship at sea, what they see above the surface looks smooth and clear and safe. But if there is a reef underneath the surface of that water, what will happen to that ship? It will crash. It will sink and be destroyed. And so it's a powerful image of what these false teachers have done. It says that they have crept in, right, verse 4. They're unnoticed. It looks safe. It looks like it's not dangerous. But underneath the surface, there are hidden reefs, and they will destroy it's that wolf in sheep's clothing that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. He goes on to describe them as shepherds feeding themselves, which makes no sense because the purpose of a shepherd is to what? Feed the sheep, protect the sheep, care for the sheep. 
But they have flipped it around and they are abusing and taking advantage of the sheep for their own benefit. He calls them waterless clouds and fruitless trees. In other words, they make big promises, but they have no purpose. They never come through. And so they make all these claims and these things on their own authority. But because it's not rooted in the power of God, they're like a waterless cloud that brings no rain. They're like a fruitless tree that bears no fruit. He calls them wild waves and wandering stars. We have to remember in Jude's day, they didn't have GPS systems. You couldn't take out your, your, your iPhone, right, and, and punch in the, the address that you wanted to go to. And so the way that ancient travelers would get from point A to point B is they would use the stars to navigate their way and where they wanted to go. But he's calling these false teachers what? Wandering stars, that when you follow that star, it leads you away from where you want to go. It leads you to destruction and danger. Again, let me make it real this morning. As we think about false teachers, false teachers fail to practice what they preach. And because they fail to practice what they preach, it leads them into all kinds of corruption and sin. But the faithful preacher and teacher of God's word proclaims the gospel to himself daily and realizes that he has not arrived. That he, just as much as everyone else, is in desperate need of the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the holiness of God. False teachers fail to practice what they preach, but faithful teachers preach the true gospel to themselves every day. Wrong beliefs lead to a sinful life. Here's the question that I want to leave you with under this first point. How is wrong belief led you to sinful action. Maybe you think, well, I'm a believer. I've I've experienced salvation in my life. And I know that God has grace and he gives forgiveness for sin. And so I'm just going to go ahead and sin because God will forgive me anyways. Ever heard that lie that the enemy wants to preach to you? See, what's happening in that moment is you are taking the grace of God and the truth of that belief and you're using it to your own advantage. It's how wrong belief can lead us to wrong action. How has wrong belief led to wrong action and sin in your own life? And here's the good news and the challenge of this morning is you don't have to be like these, these false teachers Because when we confess our sins and we're genuine about it and we receive the forgiveness and the grace of God and he cleanses us and makes us as white as snow, we can then repent and turn from our sin and walk in newness of life and have true relationship with God. So what do you need to confess today so that you can be made whole and right in God's eyes? Here's a second truth. Wrong belief leads to a sinful life. Secondly, a sinful life leads to God's judgment. A sinful life leads to God's judgment. Or, to state it more positively, you could say a holy life leads to God's glory. Sinful life leads to God's judgment. A holy life leads to God's glory. Again, the example of our honeymoon. I believe that I did not need sunscreen in Florida in mid-July. And so because of that belief system, I did not apply any sunscreen in Florida 
in mid-July. What do you think was the consequence of that decision? I got fried, okay? (laughs) I got fried. I got sunburnt so bad. And I'm not a person that normally has that happen to me. I remember when we went to turn in the keys to our, our rental car at the end of our vacation, the lady behind the counter looked up and laughed. I was like, what are you laughing about? Like, I don't see what's so funny. And she literally said, let me guess. She points at Lydia. You wore sunscreen. And she points at me. You did not. (laughs) I said, you got it, right? All right. What I want us to see here is that our belief leads to our decision making and our actions. And they come with consequences. As we look at these false teachers The consequence for false teaching is very clear according to this text. It is the judgment of God. The judgment of God. And again, Jude will give three quick Old Testament examples. You can find them in verses 5 through 7 if you want to follow along. It says this. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Strong words by Jude against those who are teaching falsely in the name of Christ. He starts with, in verse 5, an example of Israel's rebellion in the wilderness. Again, you can read about this for yourself in, in Numbers chapter 14. But just a quick summary of what happens. God's people are in slavery in the nation of Egypt. And through all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles, God in his grace delivers them from Egypt. And he has promised them a land. But what happens between deliverance and giving them the promised land is they grumble and they rebel against their maker. And so what happens is judgment. There are consequences for their sin. And so that generation of Israelites have to wander around the wilderness for 40 years and that generation does not get to go into the promised land. The people of Israel go into the promised land, but it's not till that generation has passed away. Consequences for sin. Second thing we see here is these rebel angels in verse 6. Again, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 6, where these sons of God or these angels, they rebelled against God and they came down to earth and and they, they destroyed kind of the perfect order of how God had made things and they have intimate relations with women. And as a result, they're judged by God. Likewise, the third example is Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 19. Again, all of these are specific references from the Old Testament where sinful men tried to seduce angels. They rebelled against God's perfect order and were judged accordingly. They were judged because of their immorality. Again, these are heavy, kind of powerful warnings that Jude is giving to his audience, and I believe he's giving to us 
today. He ends in verses 14 through 16 with kind of a summary warning, if you want to follow along there. It tells us what this judgment will be like. It says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumblers, the malcontents, those who are dissatisfied. Following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Again, Jude here is is quoting from a, a document that's not included in our Bibles but would have been recognized by this Jewish community. It's the document called First Enoch, whereas there's a strong prophecy that is given for those who walk in ungodliness and lead people astray. So I want to challenge you this morning to be honest. As you think about your life, have you believed in Jesus? Have you experienced his grace and his freedom and the hope that he has given to you? Or are you still under the condemnation, the judgment of God? Because the good news of God's word, as we look at the New Testament and all that Christ has done for us, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For those of us who have a true, whole relationship with Jesus, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, there is no condemnation, there is freedom from the judgment of God, and we will spend all of eternity in heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope? Have you experienced that life change? Because Jude here is offering us a warning that I believe we should take heed of. It's that wrong belief leads to a sinful life. It's that a sinful life leads to God's judgment. And here's the call, here's the challenge for all of us as followers of Christ, for the the church of God today, in the year 2020, what God is calling us to in his letter here, written by Jude, is that every follower of Jesus must contend for the one true faith. That we would defend the hope and the truth that we have in Christ. Jesus has accomplished all of this so that you and I can have a relationship with God. And so as we walk through difficult times, as we find ourselves in confusing seasons, when there's chaos all around, let's hold fast to our Savior. Let's cling to the truth, the standard, the authority of God's word. And let's contend for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. And God, we are so thankful that we have an opportunity to serve you today that we have an opportunity to worship you above all. And so God, I pray for every heart that's in this room, God, that Holy Spirit, you would work, that you would challenge, that you would help us all to unite as one body, as one church, and that we would contend for the true gospel of Jesus Christ amidst false teaching, amidst a culture that is, that is running from you, God, that we as the body of Christ would rise 
And that we would take hold of the salvation that we have and with great confidence we would help lead your church and see souls saved because of the powerful work of Jesus. Father, we love you. We ask that as we sing this final song, we would glorify and honor your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.